Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Welcome to The Truth with Bill. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, today we'd like to discuss language, something I call thought pressure, and how to access your guru. All three topics today are intertwined, and we'll pull it apart and examine each one. Let's start off with language. Odin, the Viking god, took his eye to gain knowledge. He even went as far as to hang himself and pierce himself with his spear. And this was done so that he could gain the knowledge of the three maidens who draw everyone's fate on the tree of Egdrasil, and it is drawn with the ruins. Odin survived, and he came back with the knowledge of the ruins. The ruins themselves, they hold power. But what exactly is the power that they hold? But before we get into that, let's think about Odin's story. He did all of this to gain knowledge, and we get a sense of death and rebirth. In the tarot deck, we see a card called the Hanged Man, who is seen hanged upside down, and he's seen with a grin. Why would a hanged man grin? What secret does he know? There's also runic symbolism in the hanged man, his body posture. We could also say there's some yoga form to it too. Death and then coming back with knowledge. As George Costanza's father said, I am the phoenix rising from Arizona. But this is a reoccurring theme in religions. And we continue to see this death and rebirth. So back to our question. What power do the runes hold? What are the runes? The runes are representations of words. They're a mix of letter and symbol. The runes themselves were used by the Vikings in architectural designs through homes, buildings, even their ships. But they hold the power of memory the power of time, the power of collective consciousness. And we could say this about every language that was ever written, that they hold the power of memory, the power of time, the power of collective consciousness. So with us, in us, we have a fraction of the divine, which is separate from our biological bodies. The divine and the fraction, and the fraction of it, is in another dimension, one which is higher than our own physical experience of reality. The physical body's limitations when compared to the soul are many, so much so that our physical brains cannot fathom those limitations. Collective consciousness as a whole has progressed humanity. At first we were cave people drawing rough diagrams that would help our kind find food, water, direction of travel. And all of these examples are still present today. We could see them. So we've seen pictures take form and with it words. Words that are written stand the test of time. We could write about anything and we have. Some things that we've written about hold different values than others. If we begin to examine the global written words, which ones would hold the most value? We could say that the things to eat, uh, things that would help us produce more things to eat, uh, purify water, medicine. We begin to get a list that resembles more human survival than anything else. So surely the preservation of biological life is something we would value. 
Therefore, anything written in regards to human survival would be valued. That, that would be something on the list. But what else carries value in written word? Laws. Laws were first in the form of religious do's and don'ts. Do not kill, do not steal, etc., which are found in every religion in one form or another. Again, we have ways in which humanity can survive and coexist. What written words have nothing to do with human survival and more to do with the soul's experience after biological life? And, it is, it, and is it something to be valued? So this is what's interesting. We've come to this crossroad and we say, okay, all of these survival things are of value. But what about what happens after this biological life and why would that be valued? And you already know I'm going to argue that, yes, it is valued. But let's think about why. So we, we could value written words with survival. The afterlife and what happens to us is valued because with that understanding, once it is applied to actually living in biological life, it alters our biological life for the better. So the answer is yes, it is valued more so than all of the above. It is the driving force for all the above. And we must examine it on the collective conscious level. So we see humanity growing with written word, the power of those words, and, and how it has helped us grow with everything we have today, and I do mean everything. Human existence, as we know it, would not be what it is without the ability to pass down information from generation to generation. Imagine, for a moment, that it is just your parents and you. Your parents had no knowledge before them, and it's just them and you. So everything they experienced in this life was the only thing that they could teach you. That would be quite limited. So with all this, there's something I like to call thought pressure. And thought pressure is divine guidance. It is divine trying to make contact with the smaller fraction of itself. And, this thought, and th there's also thought pressure between two fractions of the divine, which we could discuss at another time. But for now, let's focus on the divine and the fraction. So thought pressure, this contact, it administers the divine's will. And the divine's will, looked at from our two-dimensional biological physical self, is unseen and rarely understood. Thought pressure is almost like a suggestion that feels similar to a thought, but you know it came from nowhere in your brain. It is the seed of a thought. And then your biological brain needs to try to process this seed. And it's rarely seen alone in the individual, um, an example of it being seen would be Buddha, uh, right? Uh, Jesus Christ goes through this too. Um, this whole death and rebirth and coming back. Uh, Odin, we gave the example earlier. Um, so it's rarely seen alone, but we have seen it. Uh, and most times it's seen with multiple people coming together to make a change or a stand for something, for some specific belief. So we could argue that there, there would be argument, right? Because there's duality for this to happen. Someone believes this, someone believes that. And uh, the beliefs go one way and another. Eventually, over time, something births out of that. 
which is a better way. Presumably, not always. If it's not better, then eventually it gets fixed into something better. And we kind of see this evolution of, of things as, as we grow, as humanity grows. So it, it, it's hard for us to kind of see that because it's our biological conditioning that has us thinking that when our biological life is over, so too is everything that we have worked for toward. So too is everything we have worked toward. Uh, things continue on after. It's because of all of those past lives that we're able to think what we think and do what we're able to do right here and now. So uh, an example, let's say we have four different named religions and those religions are on four corners of the earth. There's no contact between each group and over time, language is formed, written word, information is passed down, structure, uh, physical life is made easier. There's time for poets and pondering. Religious texts surface in each one of these religions. Uh, each one has different names for what they've seen and experienced, but as a whole, they all have similar characters, teachings, life lessons, rules. Collective consciousness is working all the while bringing this to be. Divine consciousness. And now, all four come together. They develop something called the Internet. And there's access to each from the four, uh, I'm sorry, there's access to each of the four religions, and then some. Over time, there's more pondering and more poets. Some people start viewing the text, seeing their similarities. They begin to take everything from the four and make a fifth, a new one. And this fifth, then, because it is collective consciousness, is closer to the divine truth than can be had. Uh, that, that our biological brains can understand. So, so with this understanding and practice, the biological brain begins to change. It begins to evolve. The biological body is now able to understand more, and as such, our understanding forces us to change the way in which we live. The world around us changes uh, by our hands and how we view our positions in these biological lives. So what that means... So an example, um, as we begin to learn and study things and as humanity begins to grow, uh, we begin to recognize things and we have. So our teeth, for example, um, we have teeth that are made for tearing into meat and teeth that are made into grinding up greens and nuts and, and also helping us chew that meat and break it down. Um, so we don't necessarily have strictly carnivore type teeth and we don't necessarily have strictly herbivore type of teeth. So we'd say we're omnivore. We could eat both and our digestive systems prove that too. Consciously, how this forces you to evolve. So let's say cave people, cave people if we go back, have not thought about um, what their diet does for them physically, how it makes them feel, how it can make them think. Uh, certain diets can cause depression. Um, so they're not thinking that. It's pure survival. And then we come to a time of poets and pondering, right, in societies. And uh, we begin to examine this and, and look at things a, a lot differently. 
and, and look at our lives and, and what it does. So as we begin to grow and evolve, this is collective consciousness working, eventually we come to realize that eating strictly a herbivore kind of diet is better physically for you. It, it's just better. And even today where meats are mass produced, I mean, actual cows are mass produced in that they are made to grow very large, to produce more meat, chickens, everything is, is just bigger to feed more people. Um, also to be more appetizing, you know, you see a, a giant tomato that's big, bright and red and this little dinky tomato, you know, your eyes catches the big giant one. Like, yeah, I'm going to get that because that, that looks looks more like a, a better tomato. Um, so we could see how, how through our diet and our choice of diet, how collective consciousness uh, can alter the way we think and, and eventually evolve humanity. So in time, um, as humanity grows and we begin to see all the pitfalls of, of eating meat, um, eventually society will become more, more herbivore. It, it'll have to. Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's just easier. If and when that happens, that would change the landscape of the earth completely. It would completely change the way in which we live, how we produce things. Uh, so think about that. I think that's, that's very interesting. So uh, that, that's how collective consciousness can evolve humanity. Um, let's get to the guru section. So we spoke about the internets uh, and the four corners thing, but this is really our guru. Uh, even a well-loved guru will let his or her pupil fail for growth. And the internet is full of doors that lead to failure. And this should be the first test, shouldn't it? Can you go to the internet and only pull out what you need for growth? Are you able to do that? So some podcast ago, I spoke of needing a guru, of, I'm sorry, I spoke of not needing a guru and following your own path, uh, following your path with guidance of a guru, without the guidance of a guru, is no easy feat. Uh, but nothing that's easy is ever worth very much. And I, I always think back to one of my first uh, Reiki experiences um, when I was ready to perform a, a Reiki treatment and um, I was kind of in a meditative state with it, uh, getting the, the Reiki started. And I saw um, an image of Ganesh. And once I saw that, uh, of course, I knew nothing of Ganesh, and I, I had to start plugging away and everything that I could find, whether it be books, whether it be the internet, and the search went on from there. And then there's more questions and more answers and everything builds. And I think going to the internet with this kind of thing is a wonderful way to learn because it opens up so many other doors that you're not even thinking about, and it exposes you to something different because the internet doesn't work like, you know, oh, I'm just going to buy a single book on this. Uh, not at all. I mean, yes, you could read a single book on it on the internet, but you're going to come up with hundreds and thousands of other things that you're going to want to look at, um, uh, other suggestive searches. And it's very interesting because if you think about it in a collective consciousness kind of frame, that is exactly how collective consciousness works. 
you have all these opinions, all of these thoughts, all of these biological bodies trying to define something of a higher dimension. So of course you're going to have thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of hits on this. Because the biological brain cannot explain it in, in normal words. So I, I think it, in thinking of the four corners, if, if we were to apply that to today, then we would be smack there right in, in the age of internets. So in the spirit of thinking about the internet as your guru, uh, let's say, for example, um, you're a pupil of the guru internet and you are someone who is full of lust and you go to your guru searching for answers of lust. You will find a ton of lust on the internet. So much so that if it occupies all of your time every day, every night, it will begin to change your biological behaviors and change your biological life to a point without you ever even realizing it or knowing it, you will find yourself in a deep valley. Amongst the hills and valleys, you will be in a valley. And you will either have to rise up like the phoenix and change into rebirth, something better and new, or you will be stuck and left there. And we could do this with anything with the, with the guru of internet. Let's say you go to the guru of the internet and, and you want all of this money, you want fortune. You can make a lot of money on the internet. How many people have? Since its beginning, there's money to be made on the internet. Let's say you put all of your money in the stock market and, and you're using guru internet to make the money and maybe you make a fortune. Maybe you make a ton of money. And although this would seem like a hill, it comes with its own valleys. Valleys that you never considered and thought of. Valleys that you couldn't consider because you weren't there. Now there, those valleys are very deep. Deep things that will ask you to change yourself and rebirth. The phoenix rising through Arizona. <laughs> so, but it's true. And let's go to the opposite end. You, you go there for money and, and you put everything in, in the stock market and, and you're doing it on the internet and you lose everything. You definitely hit a valley. And what happens in this valley? You either rise up through the phoenix or you stay there and stand by its side. You see, divine consciousness always, always wants rebirth. If you do not rebirth, if you do not change, you will be left behind. And not left behind for good. There's no worry. I mean, you'll come back and have another shot at it. But the, the idea is to keep changing, to keep evolving. Folks, that's all I have for today. Thank you for joining me. This is The Truth with Bill.